0: I was asking a friend of mine if they'd seen a news story recently and they said, I'm not watching the news anymore. Life is tough enough without adding to it. Some of us understand what this is, what this is like. The last thing we wanna do when we're having a bad day is to hear more bad news. And, And if you ever feel that way that, oh, why did I have to hear this after having a bad day? Then you might be able to relate to Today's message. You might be able to relate to the to the letter that was sent to the church of Smyrna by Jesus Himself. In this, our second sermon in this sermon series, Seven Pictures, in which we are looking at seven pictures based on the seven letters written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. These seven pictures give us insight into into the characteristics, the, the actions, the beliefs of God's people as we come to the last days of Earth's history. Last week we were in Ephesus, and this week the mail truck is going 40 miles northwest to deliver another message to the city of Smyrna, to the church of Smyrna specifically. And so we begin in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read starting verses 8 and 9. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Then in parentheses, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We'll come back to verse eight, but first I want to focus on verse nine. Three issues Three issues are facing this church. and And, and actually there's, The third issue I believe is contributing to uh, the former two issues. They're facing tribulation. They're facing tribulation. Some of your Bible translations will say affliction or distress and poverty. They're facing uh, tribulation and they're facing poverty. This is not speaking of spiritual poverty. One of the reasons why we know that is because right after it says you are poor, but then it says, but you are rich. And that's meaning, indicating that they have a, a rich spiritual relationship with Jesus, but they're poor economically. In the Greek, there are two words uh, to describe uh, poverty or having lower income. One of those words it indicates just not having some basic necessities, maybe uh, uh, being without excess. But the second one is describing a state of, of, of a destitute state, a state when, when, when the economic challenges are oppressive. And that is what is being described here in Revelation chapter two and verse nine. That's the word that is being used for poverty in this sense. So, so they're facing tribulation or uh, uh, distress, persecution, however, whatever, however your Bible translates it, affliction and they're facing economic poverty, economic oppression. Now these former two issues, I believe, are in relation to the latter issue, which is the slander that they are receiving. They were in a very important city. The the city of Smyrna, believed to be the birthplace of Homer, the great philosopher, was a trade city. It was, a, it was a, a city of about 200,000 people. It was wealthy, it was culturally, politically, and in regards to Rome's religious practices, it was religiously significant. According to commentators, it was, it was a rich and, and beautiful city. In fact, the people of Smyrna gave themselves, self-titled themselves, the glory of Asia. They considered their city to be the glory of Asia. Yet there was a group in the midst of that city that was not a part of this glory, the followers of Christ. And it seems that their affliction and their poverty were directly related to being friends of Jesus, to being lovers of Jesus. G. K. Beale in his commentary gives insight into this, uh, stating that, that, as, that as the Christian and Jewish opposition grew, there were, there were a sect of Jews that drew the Christians into even more opposition with the Roman authorities by pointing out all the, way the, all the ways the Christians were anti the Roman way of life and all the way the Christians were, were anti uh, the Roman's religion, thus making it difficult for these Christians to operate, to make money, to run businesses. There was no way for them in a system in which the economy Politics and religion were all so tied closely together for them to have any advancement. And so they were under this oppression, this tribulation, this struggle. In this one verse, verse nine, I believe we are starting to see a picture of how things will be for the followers of Jesus in the last day. Remember that these seven letters were addressing very real issues that were happening within those local churches in their time and their history. But we also believe, Seventh-day Adventists believe in something called historicism. And that is the method of interpretation of biblical prophecies which associates symbols with historical persons, nations, or events. And so we believe that this also represents a time period of history. But I also agree with Dr. Sib Tonstad, who is a professor of religion at Lomaline University, who in his commentary on the book of Revelation states that, that the thrust of these passages, the thrust of the messages to the seven churches is not simply Roman. It's not simply first century, but it is human. And so the picture that is shaping up is that, that, that friends of Jesus in the last days will face tribulation, they will have affliction and they will also have economic difficulties. And much of this will be led to the reality that people will not speak well of them. Y'all, the truth is that more and more people are speaking ill of Christians every single day. And, And let's be honest, let's just pause here and be honest. Some of this we have brought upon ourselves by the way that we present our views, by by the way we act in society, by the way we we treat others. We're not being good witnesses for Christ. And so so some of the rebuke that we've received from society, we deserve. When we align ourselves with things that are not of God and then still call ourselves Christians, we are deserving of some of the rebuke. But in some cases, the, the, the... The slandering against Christians is just based on what we believe. It's become an acceptable part of society. And it doesn't just happen from those outside of of Christianity, those that that are outside or not believers in Christ. Some of the slandering comes from those inside the system as well. I made a comment a few years back that I think Jesus would be happy if we all got rid of our guns. I just posted that somewhere and, and immediately someone got on me about the second amendment. And I said, I understand the second amendment. I said, I still think Jesus would be happy if there were no more guns. And so this person came back at me and said, how would we, how are we going to protect ourselves as the world gets worse in the last days? And I wrote back one word, Jesus. And that set this guy off and his wife. And now they were both in on me on Facebook. And folks, this was another pastor. A friend of mine spoke up on, made a, a, a statement the other day about abortion and his desire to, to value life from, from conception all the way through. And, and he was slandered left and right. A couple of years ago or a year ago even, I preached a sermon series on the book of Exodus. And in one of those sermons, I I quoted the scriptures in which I said that God calls us to take care of the refugees and the the immigrants and the the oppressed within our midst. That's all I said. And I quoted texts to support that. Someone watched that on the Hope Channel and a lady wrote in and said, it's obvious this man watches CNN. I'm never going to watch him again. Slander comes from all sides. I have friends that hold uh, uh, the traditional biblical worldview uh, or the, t- the traditional biblical view on marriage or on sexuality, but they're, they're scared to speak, express their beliefs on this for fear of being labeled as hateful or, or bigots. These things are are just minor things though in regards into what is to come. Those are little spats, little, little moments into what is to come in the last days. Here are the words of Jesus from the Gospel of John. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, it hates you. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this hatred from the world is going to lead to greater and greater persecution and tribulation. And it's just going to grow. Last week, I quoted Matthew chapter 24 in which the Bible says that that. That in the last days the hearts of many will grow cold and their love will grow cold for for Jesus and for the followers of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verses 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13 say the following But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And difficulty is an understatement. Indeed, all, the Bible continues, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. If you read this book and you live according to the principles of this book, you will be persecuted. You can say, I'm against war, and people will tell you that you're a bad person. You can say, I'm against this, and people will slander. Whatever it may be, if we live according to this book, we will be persecuted. And part of that persecution and slandering will lead to financial suffering. Will lead to financial suffering. As I was reading about the church in Smyrna and I was reading about how they're described as in poverty, as, as under, not just, not just lacking some, some basic things, but, but an oppressive state of injustice in the economic system that they were in. I couldn't help but think about the days that we are in now. And I thought about about what is to come for some of us that are are followers of Christ and what will be. I thought about all the teaching in the Bible that is about money. I thought about the system that God established of, of, of developing tithes and offerings. And how lucky we are to have it. And I believe we're lucky to have it because I believe in part Jesus has set up this system of of tithes and offerings to prepare us for the last days. Matthew chapter six and verse 20, verses 19 through 21 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, the Bible says, there your heart will be also. Every time we choose to live on less and to give more to God through our tithes and our offerings, every time we choose to live on less, to give more to others who are in need, to help the needy among us, we are strengthening our dependence on Jesus. And thus we are preparing for the times when our money will be of no value because of our loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus. The times are coming when those who are faithful to Jesus will feel the economic oppression that Smyrna did if we choose not to compromise. The Bible tells us those days are coming. That's not just my opinion. We have this passage in Revelation chapter two, this this picture of a a church that is oppressed, that cannot operate in an economic system in which religion and politics and the economy are tied together. But there are two other texts, both in Revelation, both addressing followers of Jesus as we near the end of earth's history. One of the, and both of them are in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13 we see the picture of two beasts. These beasts are symbolic of entities that the devil will use to persecute the friends of Jesus in the last day. That is a sermon for another day. But notice one of the tools that will be used to persecute lovers of Jesus, persecute us in the last days. Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 17. Also it causes, this is speaking one of the beasts, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. No one can buy or sell. This is talking about an economic system that is set up to oppress people that are followers of Jesus. Smyrna was having difficulty existing in a city where religion, politics and economy were closely linked together. It will likewise be for us and we can already see the underpinnings of it where where there's this, this dangerous merger between Christianity, the political system, political parties and our economic system. What we believe will ultimately become counter to our nation's politics and even to some of the broader churches, religious politics, and we will suffer economically, the Bible says. We won't be able to buy or sell. In other words, we won't be able to operate in that system. There's another text that is interesting about this as well. Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, verses two and three. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Babylon represents the things and the systems And and the the secularism of this world, the powers of this world. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living." There's a lot of prophetic language in this passage, but let me sum it up this way. Babylon as, as, as a power of this world and those that align to it have grown rich. This doesn't mean, let me say this, this doesn't mean that every person that is rich now is aligned with Babylon. But there is coming a day when people, even people of God, will be forced to choose to be aligned with the systems of this world, the corrupt and wicked ways of this world, the the political structures of this world to protect their money or to gain money, while at the same time, the true friends of Jesus, as we read in Revelation 13, will not be able to function economically. There will be a time when that choice will be presented to believers in God. This is the picture we are getting from Smyrna. This is, is the, the picture of that church that is, that is shown to us and is, as Tonsted said, This is not just a Roman or a first century picture, but this is a human reality. But remember how I said at the beginning, when you're having a bad day, the last thing you want to hear is more bad news. The reality of the church in Smyrna is that Smyrna is suffering They're suffering daily, they're suffering tribulation, they're suffering slandering, they're suffering economic ruin, all because of their love for Jesus. But then verse 10 happens there in Revelation chapter two. Verse 10, which it reads, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. What? We're going to suffer more? This is the people having a bad day, turning on the news, and getting more bad news. Wait, wait, wait. So we're under tribulation, affliction, distress. We're economically oppressed. We cannot operate in the city in which... We live, and now you're telling us we're gonna suffer more? We're going to face prison? Some of us are going to die? Summing up the Church of Smyrna's experience, it would be this. Life is rough. Don't worry. It will get worse. Brothers and sisters, I know this is not the sanitized version of Christianity that we have often seen out there, This is not the sanitized version of Christianity that, that we've become used to in the United States of America and other first world places. We need to understand though that what Smyrna went through is part of the picture for friends of Jesus as we get nearer and nearer to the end of time. What was that 2 Timothy verse again? But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Following Jesus for us, brothers and sisters, has to be more than WWJD bracelets or WGTS on the radio. Following Jesus has to be more than a singular event of going to a church service. Following Jesus has to be more than than the excitement we get when we go to a Christian concert with smoke machines and, and crazy lights. Following Jesus has to be more than a cultural experience. None of those things will sustain us through the picture of our future we have laid out before us from the church of Smyrna. What will sustain us? There is only one thing. In verse eight, Jesus introduces himself to us in this way. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. The title has so much meaning for Christians, especially for Christians who are suffering. Come what may, this is what this title is saying. Come what may from the first day of life to the last day the risen Christ is with us. Come what may, I'm going through, through, through economic challenges. Come what may, Christ is with me. I'm destitute because what I believe for Jesus. Come what may, Jesus is with me. Because of my, of my beliefs, my, 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 my spouse has left me, my children have abandoned me. Come what may, I have Jesus. I am slandered because of what I believe. My, my friends speak ill of me. Come what may, I have Jesus. I'm imprisoned because of my beliefs in Jesus. Come what may, I have Jesus. I may lose my life because of what I believe. Come what may, I have Jesus. To quote William Barclay, the risen Christ is the one who has experienced the worst that life could do to him. He had to die the agony of the cross no matter what happened to the Christians of Smyrna. Jesus Christ has been through it. Jesus Christ can help because he knows what life is like at its worst and has experienced even the bitterness of death. The picture of Smyrna paints of us for us this. The struggle is real, but Jesus is realer. And I know realer isn't a word, so don't write me. But the point is this, that the struggle is real, but come what may, Jesus is the only way to get through it. The sustaining promise is this, in verse 10 and 11, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There is nothing in this letter to Smyrna that says, things are going to get better on this earth. Poverty here, remember riches and blessings in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Persecution here, remember love and peace and full acceptance in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Prison here, remember freedom and grace and eternal joy in the eternal kingdom of heaven. Death here, remember, life eternal in the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Is your Christianity built on Jesus and Jesus alone? The Christianity that is coming for us, the Christianity that is in our future is not what we grew up in. It's not roses and daisies, this is gonna sound weird, but when I was thinking about my sermon, and this is not in my notes, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but when I was thinking about my sermon, some reason, Barbara Streisand popped into my head, and she sings this song, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, and it's this floaty melody and tune, and and I thought, yeah, that's not the message of Smyrna. It's more like the duet she did with Neil Diamond, You Don't Bring Me Flowers. This world is not gonna be bringing us any flowers. It's not coming up roses as we go closer and closer to history. So, so all of that is not gonna sustain us. Only thing that can sustain us is Jesus. The Christianity that is ahead looks less like what we've experienced and more like what a friend of mine went through. A friend of mine who was also a former member of a church I pastored in Georgia. As a teenager in Indonesia, she commuted from her village into one of the major cities to work. And there in the city, she got connected to some Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And and at her work were these other Seventh-day Adventist Christians working. And and after a while, they invited her to some meetings. And and so each evening after work, she would go and she would attend some of these meetings that they invited her to. And and slowly but surely, this, this picture of Jesus, these beautiful truths of Jesus that were being painted for her, touched her heart and, and moved her, 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 her conviction to follow Him. She saw that, that this Jesus that she was hearing about from, from the Word of God was, was, a, was a person that she wanted to make her best friend. And so she made that decision. She made that decision to give her life to Jesus and, and to follow Jesus as a, as a teenage girl. And after one of those meetings, she was baptized. Word of her decision arrived at her village before she did. And so that night when she came home, as she approached her house, lying in the filth and the waste and the mud were all her possessions, everything. She was cast out, but she had Jesus but she had Jesus. When your Christianity, when what's coming in this world equals everything you have in your own life, lying in the waste of a village road, will you be able to say, come what may, I have Jesus. Do not fear what you are about to suffer because I have overcome, Jesus tells us. Do not fear what you are about to suffer because I am the first and the last. I have overcome the grave. Do not fear what you are about to suffer and you will receive the crown of life, come what may. Jesus says, I'm with you. Lord, I pray. We look at this message from Smyrna. There's there's just no way around it. We can't can't fluff it up. We can't make it something that it's not. It was a church that was suffering, that had lost everything and was about to suffer even more. And yet, Jesus, you said to them, just hang on, hang on, because I'm with you. I've gone through this with you. I'm going through this with you. And though in this world you will have trouble, come what may, you still have me. And on the other side of this is all the glory and all the beauty and all the hope and all the love that comes with being forever in the presence of Jesus. Or there's some people right now, they're already going through stuff. They're going through economic things They're going through through physical things. COVID has has laid on us a mental oppression that is is unlike anything we've we've seen in in our lifetimes. People are going through through relational strife. Jesus said, unfortunately, the picture is is that because of our beliefs in you that, that many things will get worse. The devil wants to destroy us. Jesus, may our our foundation be you and you alone so that come what may, we can have peace in knowing that we will have eternal life. We will have the crown of life. And we will have the forever love and community of the kingdom of God. Lord, strengthen us in that. Sustain us by those words. Jesus, be our everything. In your name we pray. Amen.